The reading's taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. May those words be blessed in your hearts. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, as we come to your word, we ask that in Jesus' name, by your spirit, it would accomplish everything that you desire it to accomplish. I pray and ask that I would decrease and you would increase and that your spirit would quicken this word to our hearts, and that, Lord, that by your spirit there would be transformation that would take place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you're visiting, a really warm welcome. You're tuning on, on YouTube or by podcast, a warm welcome to St. Andrew's Geraldine. It's fantastic you're joining us. Uh, as you know, we're a kids-friendly service, so uh, today we've got all the kids in with us. So if there's kids making noise, uh, that's okay, isn't it? That's actually good. We are blessed. I've been in church services that are a bit like museums, uh, and uh, we're a living church. So when there's noise and kids, it's life, and life is good. You can always just come and listen to my sermon later if you're really keen online. It goes straight through here. There won't be the kids making noise, so feel free. But if there is, it's okay. I'd rather you hear kids' noise uh, than not hear kids' noise, if you know what I mean. We are very blessed to have all the children here, and we don't always run programs. <laughs> And uh, if you're listening out into the foyer, it's welcome that you've got kids there and you're joining in. I hope you can tune in for a little bit of the message in between the kids playing with the blocks and the toys out there. So we're carrying on with our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning, we're going to look at this. Jesus is restating his call to you to join a countercultural revolution that will change the world. Two, Jesus is summing up, summing up the Beatitudes' effect on his disciples who will live out the Beatitudes in society. Three, Jesus gives two analogies. Salt, it bites and preserves, and light. Its power is shown in contrast to the darkness that surrounds it. Four, the Christian's strength is shown when we're different from the world by reflecting Christ's values to the world. And five, our greatest weakness is when we compromise our calling as followers of Christ and are the same as the people of the world. One, Jesus restates his call to you to join a countercultural revolution that will change the world. I'm going to read this text to you again because this is the word of God. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Jesus was talking to a relatively small group of disciples. And beyond those disciples around his feet as he gave the Sermon on the Mount, a bit like the kids sitting here, they'd be the disciples and you'd be the the crowd. (laughs) There's a smaller group, there was a larger group in the crowd, but relatively in the scheme of things of the global population, it was a tiny amount of people. And here on that Sermon on the Mountain, up there on that mount, he was challenging that small group to change planet Earth, the entire world, to start a revolution that would change this world. If you love the Lord, you are challenged by Jesus through the Holy Spirit's work in your life to honor your heavenly Father by seeing his kingdom come and his will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. This will hallow, reflect the holiness of the Lord here on earth in Geraldine and the surrounding townships and rural communities. But the risk this morning is that by me and me saying this is that my frailties and inability to communicate this wonderful, majestic, life-changing, utterly radical challenge, my frailties mean you're not going to get it. And if you forgive me for saying this, your heart and hearts and apathetic hearts, and Jesus describes this like that at times, certainly I fit that bill, and also the spiritual reality Jesus talks about Satan plucking the word, the rema, the, the, the word that, not just hearing, but the word that would change your heart. Satan plucks it out of, out of us. So me, my frailties, your hearts and spiritual forces can all conspire to strip the power of this challenge that Jesus gives that, and the desperate need for us to heed this call here in South and Mid-Canterbury. The hour is late if you open your eyes here in New Zealand. And the need here in this country is great, but the call is here, if it's heard, can change the world. Think of what Jesus' call has done in this world over the last 2,000 years. So Catherine's at home at the moment. Perhaps she's listening to this message while lying in bed. I love you if you are, darling. Um, Barring a miracle, she'll soon be with the Lord. She should have, by all probabilities, uh, died after she had the perforated bowel. Certainly that was the consensus of the surgical team as the most likely outcome. But she's still here with perhaps a little time left on the clock to her. And in the season of life, as Catherine sits on the precipice of eternity, one question Catherine has asked a few times of herself. And she's circled around at different times. Remember one time, plugged into the IV cord there in the hospice, and she asked the question again. And the question wasn't, why couldn't we have a bigger house? Why couldn't we have had more stuff? Why didn't we do that overseas, round-the-world holiday? Why couldn't we have had a better career? All those other things at the heart of the New Zealand, New Zealand lifestyle, the New Zealand religion, the New Zealand dream, which most Kiwis, including many Christians, spend far too much of their time and energy resources acquiring. That wasn't the question that was circling around in Catherine's heart that she's asked a few times. She said this, Have I really served him, Jesus Christ, with a full heart? Have I really lived, really lived for Jesus Christ? What difference has my life made for Christ? Or has my life been distracted by other hurts and and issues and temptations? Words to those effect were circling around. Now, make no mistake, Catherine believes what every true Christian believes, that she is saved by grace. 
by God's merciful love. She inherits eternal life the same way as the thief on the cross. That rascal and scoundrel lived a whole life away from the Lord, doing whatever he wanted. And then on the cross, what does he do? The scoundrel of a guy, probably a hopeless son, hopeless husband, terrible father, all those things, right? And there on that cross, what does he do? He calls on Jesus and Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. He was not saved by his religious works. He was saved by grace. And whether you give your life to Jesus at three and go onto the mission field at the age of five and spend the rest of your life serving Jesus, we're all saved the same way, by grace and mercy. So she'll soon either be fully healed in Jesus' name, I claim that, or she'll be with the Lord soon in eternity, which will be her gain. To die is gain. Be my loss, though. I'm not going to hide that. And she will receive that eternity because she received that gracious, merciful, free gift. And of course, I comforted her because I actually do believe truthfully that she has lived her life for Christ. But the question remained in Catherine's heart, and it's not a bad question for Catherine to ask. In fact, it's a very good question for her to ask there in the South Canterbury Room 4 hospice bed, plugged into the antibiotics and IV cord, knowing that this could be her last day on the planet. And as she's about to step in and face her creator and maker, it is a great question for her to ask. But may I suggest to you here today, it's an even better question for you to ask. Because you have days, weeks, months, years, decades ahead of you. And one day, like all of us, the road will run out. And how would you have spent your life? And this is the challenge that actually Jesus is making. And he wants you to grab this challenge as a call for light and salt to join his countercultural revolution to change the world, the world. But the problem is we've heard this stuff so many times. You read the Bible, you just read over it, and it sort of sits at the superficial level without having the heart and the affections of the heart transformed by it. So Jesus and his call for us to be light and salt is calling for us to join his countercultural revolution to change planet Earth. And this is something every person can do who has God's spirit in them. You can do it in your family home, your workplace, your sports team, over a Christmas dinner, or in the South Canterbury hospice. I remember Catherine uh, getting out and going down to visit a person. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to say his name, but there's a businessman in town who was in, in Ger not a Geraldine person. It was like, oh, we've got some Geraldine people. I think he may have died now. But Catherine went down and visited and just shared and was talking with him. And she, the, the, the hospice was in a mission field while she was there. And, and the staff come. Our world, whatever situation you're in, this is our, our, our world to, to be light and salt. So one, Jesus restates his call to you to join a countercultural revolution or change the world. Have you heard this call? And two, Jesus is summing up the effects. In him doing this light and salt, he's summing up the effects on his disciples who live out the Beatitudes in society. So this passage of light and salt Right? This is a sermon right, that, that Jesus is giving. And Jesus is a good sermon preacher. Right? He's a much better preacher than I am. Right? Are you with me? Agree with this? And there's a structure to what Jesus is doing. It's not just random thoughts that appeared in Jesus' head one day. There's a structure with what he's doing. So he's just given the Beatitudes, and now he's summing up and saying, if you live out these Beatitudes, if you imbibe them into your heart, you are going to be light and salt, and you're going to change the world. But if you lose your saltiness, and if you lose your light then the world will not be changed. 
So Jesus is summing up the effects on his disciples of those who live out the, the, the Beatitudes in his life. And so I'm just going to give the, 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 the paraphrase. I'm not giving you the blessings, but I'm going to give the challenges here. These are the Beatitudes. So he says, this is what you have to do. And I'm going to just hit you again with this. Because if you're like me, we forget the gospel every single day. So you need to be remembering this stuff. Jesus says it's for those who are poor in spirit, who acknowledge their spiritual poverty. It's a sense of like Catherine sitting there and saying, Lord, I haven't served you with a full heart. That is spiritual poverty. And then that is a sense of, Lord, I need you. And then that goes on to contrition, mourning. Mourning what we've done. Mourning the failures in our life. Mourning how we've not honored the Lord with our whole heart. And then those who, if you do that poor in spirit and you mourn, the thing you're going to have is humility. Who's met prideful Christians? Arrogant, prideful Christians. They've never had that poor in spirit and they've never wept over their own sin. When you weep over your own sin, when you realize how much you've hurt other people and you come to that place, it gives humility, meekness. And then out of that meekness, you start to have a hunger and thirst for more of God in your life. You hunger and thirst after righteousness. It's not just a Sunday sermon. It's something that wells in you. You hunger for a little bit more of genuine God. I remember Mark Kuhn, my New Testament lecturer, he was living with his girlfriend, Emma, and he popped into one church and there was nothing there, but he was searching. It was the 70s, the Jesus movement was on. And then he walked into a church and even though he'd never read the Bible, even though he knew nothing of the Christian faith, he walked in, he said, he's here. God's power is here. And he encountered the gospel, gave his life to Christ. Then went back home to his girlfriend whom he was living with and said, you're living in sin, you need to repent, well, you need to get married. And they got married and now you know, he became a New Testament lecturer. And his life was transformed and so was his wife. Radical transformation. All right, and then when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, then there's a mercy a purity in heart and a peacemaker attitude that comes out. And these things make us light and that's Jesus' point. This is the challenge. All right, so he gives two analogies of what living out the Beatitudes will be. Salt, it bites and preserves and light's power is shown in contrast to the darkness. All right, and the salt of the ancient world, I'm sure most of you know this, it preserves and the day before, fridges, uh, preserving meat, uh, you use salt. And it also bites. It can irritate. Put it into a wound. Eat a handful straight of it. There's a bite to it, an irritant to it. Right? I, I, um, when, you know, in my life as a, as a pastor, as a minister, I just accept cups of tea any way they come. You get them in all sorts of ways. And, and like, for example, when I was up in Auckland, uh, there was a lady who went through the Great Depression and so she, she, I found it later she was actually a millionaire, but she never spent anything. She hoarded stuff. It was just all this hoarding. And, uh, and so she, uh, her tea, the tea, the way of, of saving money with tea bags was to have a single tea bag for a few days and reuse the tea bag. And I got the reused tea bag. Um, I saw it all happening. And, and so I had this used, so I learned to, to accept tea at the age of 25, 26 as a very young person in ministry to learn to accept tea whatever way it came. So I said that one day, pretty arrogantly, I can have tea anyway. I don't really care what you do with it. I've learned just to accept it. So my wife, Catherine, if she's listening, she knows this. She went into the kitchen and she got a massive chunk of salt, like, like tablespoon. I don't know. Like, she must have just like emptied it out. More salt than tea. And then she just came out as she was to the cup of tea. Which I was having this pastoral visit. And there was my cup of tea. <sighs> Thanks, love. And there was the other tea. And then I went... 
And that, that puckering when you get that salt. Well, I did not drink that cup of tea. So she proved like I do not have tea anyway. If you make it half salt, half tea, I won't be able to have it. But the salt has a bite to it. It has an irritant to it, and it has a preservative. So if you're light in salt, you will be a preservative in society. You'll preserve society from going bad. You'll, there'll be an integrity, and you'll be an irritant. There's going to be a bit of a bite to it. And we'll get into that in a moment. Let's do this, the preservative first. There's a sense that Christians, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, not just churchgoers, not just lip service Christians, true, authentic disciples of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit's in you, you're hungry and thirsting after righteousness, you will be a preservative here in Geraldine, Woodbury, Fairley, uh, Pleasant Point, Ealing, District, wherever you're from, out of the Canterbury Plains, we collect all sorts from everywhere that come here on a Sunday. Wherever you are, you will be a preservative. The world will be going mad, and you'll actually have a sense of preservative with you. Right? And then there's also going to be a sense that you're an irritant, that you're actually going to be irritating, and there will be persecution. And Jesus brings this out in the Beatitudes. Right? This connects the salt here. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You should expect, if you're living out the Beatitudes, that you'll be preserving society from a moral decline and rot through the power of what God's doing in your life, and you're going to get some pushback because you're not going to go along with what everyone's doing. You're gonna, you're gonna, I remember being called when I was living at, at, at Nelson College, called Ned Flanders. Has anyone watched The Simpsons? And I was, so I was like, like, Ned Flanders! Like that sort of thing, and, and it was just, yeah, that was my life. I was also called McLibrary Nerd because I lived in the library. Anyway, but the, the, there was that sense in which they knew, even though I never talked about God, I would never talk about God, I was so scared and everything else like that, they knew that I wasn't doing what they were doing. There was a difference that happened. And there's persecution that comes from that. Uh, Nikki Gumbel shares, and I think it, it both shares both the irritant and the preservative that Christians make. There's a story in the Alpha Course. Nikki Gumbel, uh, he's now a retired Anglican vicar in Holy Trinity Brompton. He shares the story of his mate who was working uh, in this large company in London. And he walks in there. This is the old days of the phones with the cords to the box. Now we have all cordless and mobiles. But the phone rang. He's in the boss's office. And he said, answer the phone. So he just picked up the phone, you know, named the company. You know, afternoon, how can I help? And then the, the first phone, he said, uh, he wants to speak to you. And the boss said, tell him I'm not here. Tell him I'm not here. And the Christian guy grabs the phone and says, you tell him. <laughs> and passes him the phone. And so he deals with the phone very politely, chats to the guy, deals with the issue, then hangs up. And then his polite, civil face just gets contorted with rage. And a couple of swear words, what were you doing? I asked you to tell him I wasn't here. And he said, sir, if I'll never lie to you, for you, I'll never lie to you. And it was a quick quip that came out of his mouth. But it wasn't just the quip, it was years of integrity that he had. And over the time, he was the lowest ranking person. And over those years, that integrity came to me. He actually became the manager of the place because the boss realized there was one person in the place who had integrity. There was an irritant. You tell him, I'm not playing your game for you. And there's a preservative. Do you guys see that? We're both. You're not going to be getting along and going along if you follow Jesus Christ. There are some places you can no longer go. There's some words you can no longer say. And there are things that, they are, that the world is celebrating that you cannot. 
and you will suffer social ostracization for that. But remember whom you're an ambassador for. Remember what's, what light you are to shine. Remember what salt you are to show. We are light and salt, and we are to let our light shine. The light, Jesus is the light of the world. His spirit within us, and we reflect his light. We do not hide it. During World War II, there's the two stories about who this individual is. In the massive crowd, when Hitler had, had gained power, people think it was, you know, people say, oh, the Nazis, a small group. But the, I'm not criticizing German society. This could have been New Zealand. We're no better or worse than Germany in the 1930s. Any country can get seized with an ideology. But they got seized with the Nazi ideology. And all those crowds, they turned up. It was, at, I think, at a, at, a, at a naval works in one of the northern cities there. And there's Hitler as well. The Nazis gave a speech. The whole crowd goes out. And I won't uh, give the salute watching on YouTube. But he gave, they all gave the, the, the salute. Hail Hitler. And there in the middle is one person with his arms crossed, just like Kevin is now. Kevin, you can see, but Kevin just like stoic. You know how Kevin looks like that. And then just like, just no, not moving. And there, there he is. And there are two stories of who this person is. Both are actually, we, they don't, both died, and we don't know who which one it was. But one is that he actually had a Jewish girlfriend, um, and um, he fled to Denmark and was caught, and both of them were, were killed. The other one is that he was actually a staunch conservative Christian who was living his life for Christ, because he looks like both of them. And he was living for Christ, and he was executed by the Nazi regime. Both stories are actually meaningful. Uh, but whatever reason, he wasn't going along with the thing. And they found that photo years later. Who is this person? And what Jesus is saying is, be that guy. Be that salt. Be that light. Be different. It's not going to be fun. There could be, and in years to come, they could be celebrating Anger Week, or it could be Lust Week, or Pride Week, or something else like that in society, whatever. You just name it. Everyone's celebrating it. What about you? Will you be going along? Are you living for Christ? Are you light and salt? There's a warning that Jesus gives. The Christian strength is shown when we're different from the world by reflecting Christ's values to the world. And our greatest weakness is when we compromise our calling as followers of Christ and be the same as the people of the world. The amazing thing, in that crowd that you had a look there, how many of them do you think would know Silent Night? Most of them, right? How many would have known, would have been to church and know Bible stories? Most of them. How many of them would have gone to church services for Easter and Christmas? Most of them. This is the Lutheran territory up the northern of the country. Most of them would have gone. How many were regular churchgoers? A few of them. And do you know that in those Lutheran churches, they just simply decided one Sunday to replace the Bible with Menkampf. That's Hitler's you know, book. How could a society lose its moral focus? Only about two or 3,000 pastors were put in concentration camps. Where was 30,000 pastors? They lost their light and salt. Our greatest weakness is when we compromise our callings as followers of Christ and be the same as people of the world. And our greatest strength is when we can fold our things and simply say no. Or we say yes, depending on what we're saying no or yes to. Yes to mercy, no to celebrating evil. Things like that. You guys can figure it out. And so this is what we're called to do. But my, my fear this morning is that my frailties as a communicator, the apathy and hardness of the heart, the ability for sermons just to be heard, oh, the Beatitudes sermons are good, I don't remember really what it was much about, but we're now on to the next thing, is it loses its call and we don't hear. But this challenge that Jesus said to a small group of disciples changed planet Earth. And it's still changing Earth 
planet Earth right now in countries like North Korea, Iran, and anywhere. And my prayer is it will change Geraldine if we hear the call and allow it to be a radical call to be light and salt. And it starts now. And so for Catherine, one of the things that she's wanting to do is, I, I remember this text actually with Peter. He denied Jesus three times. He'd failed to be light and salt. And he had that poor in spirit. He had the contrition. He wept bitterly. He came back and was restored. And Jesus restored him and said, you know, feed my sheep. And then at the end, he said, you know what, Peter? You're going to give glory to me. One day later in life, you're going to go where you don't want to go. And they're going to do things to you that you don't want to have happen. But that, what, when that day, the way that you will die will bring honor and glory to my name. And one of the things that Catherine has been praying recently is that if she is to go and die, that her death would be to the glory of the Lord. May I suggest to you this week, let your life be to the glory of God. Whether in life or death, we honor our Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. And we pray in Jesus' name that our church here would be full of light and salt. That the message of Beatitudes that's been taught by Jason over the last few weeks would resound in our heart and that we would live this out and that your name would be honoured. That the heavenly, your name, Father, would be glorified through the good deeds we do in Jesus' name. Amen.